HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. And good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. This is our one-year anniversary show. So happy one-year uh, anniversary to uh, to everyone who's been involved. Thanks so much to Alex Moskovitz uh, and Jack and and Aaron Fitzgerald and and everyone here at uh, at In the Drink. And thanks so much to Roberta's as well. Roberta's Restaurants has been uh, a huge supporter of the radio station. Um, we obviously could not do it without uh, without them. So. I am uh, I'm like extraordinarily excited and so happy to see uh, my my good buddy from out of town. Uh, we have Steve Wildey here from the Mark Vetri Restaurant Group. I wouldn't have missed it. Thanks for having me on, Joey, and happy anniversary. Thank you so much, buddy. We have uh, so you and I had met uh, a few years ago now, thanks to uh, thanks to a, another good friend of ours, Bobby Stuckey, uh, who organized a trip to Friuli for us. And I I venture to say for me that was. A uh, kind of life-changing trip. I got to meet you, Shelley Lindgren, Jeremy Parsons, so many great people on that trip. Um, but we forged a good friendship out of uh, out of that short time. That was super formative for me too. And isn't it really crazy to think about those people on that trip? A lot of star power hanging out there with you know me accepted, but having Shelley Lindgren, Jeremy Parson, Bobby Stuckey, Lachlan McKinnon Patterson, essentially just showing us around for Yuli, it was unreal. That was absolutely insane. Uh, and then after, after that time, we've uh, we've kind of worked together. Uh, Steve's been organizing the beverage part of the Alex's Lemonade Stand uh, uh, event down in Philly, which Mark uh, Mark Betchy is a huge uh, supporter of. Um, so I, I was very honored that that you'd asked me the past few years to come do cocktails down there. But tell us a little bit about Alex's Lemonade Stand because I know that's something that that is near and dear to the heart of uh, of your restaurant group. So Alex's Lemonade Stand is a Philadelphia area based um, charity foundation. It was actually started by a young girl who was diagnosed with uh, pediatric cancer 
at a young age and had an idea to set up a lemonade stand of her own with the idea that she would raise enough money to uh, start sending some in to different research projects and eventually help cure childhood cancer. And um, she got a lot of buzz through her first lemonade stand. She raised a lot of money, and they started to pick up steam, and she um, very quickly had the goal to raise $1 million on her own, um, which she actually did um, before passing away. And her parents have continued on the foundation in her name and do events throughout the country all year long. Um, June is a big drive for mm-hmm. uh, Alex's Lemonade through the uh, Lemonade Days, so we do the Alex's Lemonade Stand event in Philly, which we call the Great Chefs event. And it's really just a big party, a big food festival. As you mentioned, you're kind enough to come down for it, but we get chefs from all across the country. And you get the top chefs from all across the country. You get the Animal Guys. You have uh, Mark Ladner, Jonathan Waxman, pretty much any chef, all these great chefs from Chicago, from the Publican, just incredible talents come down there. Yeah, and all the coolest guys, all people who are... Just really into hanging out there, really into being there. I've been to a few different food events, things like that. I haven't been to a lot of charity fundraisers, and I think that makes this one a little bit different, where people aren't there um, to sell their wares necessarily. Mm-hmm. They're not there to, to represent their restaurants and really try to uh, sell themselves. They're just there to raise money, and it's incredible to see how much people embrace it, um, how behind the cause everybody that participates is. And uh, this year we actually raised over $1.1 million wow. in a single day. that's incredible. Oh, thanks to you and everybody for, for coming down and helping out with it. Yeah, you know, we do a, a ton of, of different charity events. I've, I've been to a, a decent amount of them, and there's nothing else that is as well-organized, well-attended, has so, much, so many great, talented people around it. The space is amazing. So, I, I, we, you know, we actually have some of our guests who come, from, who come down from New York. It's not that big of a trip. I, you know, I think our cities are quite close. But, like, we have our guests that come down from New York specifically go, to go into the Great Chefs event. So That's crazy. And thanks for saying that on the organization point. This year, especially, I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop the whole time. <laughs> I, my wife and I had a baby a couple of months back. We opened up a new restaurant not too long ago. We have a new one opening up. And I was like, what did I miss? What is going to fall apart at this event this year? But it went off without a hitch. And, and somehow you do the whole time with, with a smile on your face, uh, looking handsome, looking good the whole time. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the various restaurants that, that, uh, that you guys have, that, that you work with. Um, so many great ones. Obviously, Vetri is an icon of, I think, the American dining scene. Um, I had read a quote by Mario Vitale where he said, if only I could cook Italian food like Mark Vetri, I'd, I'd be, you know, I'd be money. So uh, I think he knows something about cooking Italian food. So that's pretty amazing. So Vetri, tiny little jewel box of a place. I, I made the trip just to go. I went on a pilgrimage with the wine editor and editor-in-chief from La Cucina Italiana just to come visit this restaurant. It's it's an icon. Um, you have Osteria, which I feel like every time I'm in Philly, I need to stop by there. I just love it. Uh, how do you describe Osteria? Osteria is very closely related to Vetri in terms of the inspiration and the food. Everything's driven by northern Italian cuisine. Uh, All our chefs typically live and study in Bergamo in northern Italy, try to spend some time over there. That's where Mark kind of figured out his love for restaurants and his attachment to Italian cuisine. His uh, partner, Jeff Michaud, met his wife over there. Um, our chef currently at Vetri, Adam Leonti, hung out there for six months, kind of learned more about the Italian thing. And uh, so all the food's driven fairly closely by that mm-hmm. 
style of cuisine from Bergamo, but Osteria is a larger space. So a little bit more casual, a little bit more up-tempo. Um, we also have a really neat wood-fired oven there, so we do some incredible pizzas, wood-grilled meats, um, a fairly big wine list. But actually, I'm remembering now, how could I forget, we had our Friuli retrospective dinner there. You came down Oh, what a blast. That's right. We, w- we had a dinner there. Uh, it was your, bl- your brainchild, and I'm so happy that you came up with this idea that we would kind of relive our dinner uh, I hope that everyone else had as much fun as we did because it was such a blast. We would relive our trip to Friuli through a dinner at uh, at Osteria. That's right. We told all these terribly esoteric stories that it was just like having a little inside joke fest in front of 35 people. I think they appreciated it, I but I, at least we made each other laugh. <laughs> so that was great. And then... Um, you have Alaspina, which opened up uh, relatively recently, and I, I believe that's mostly that's Jeff Michaud's uh, menu. Is that correct? So Jeff Michaud's the executive chef there, and then we also have a chef de cuisine. Uh, we had Mike Deganis, who's moving on to Osteria. We're opening up a new one in Moorestown, New Jersey, and we have a new chef at Alaspina called Pat, uh, his name is Pat Zoak, and he's coming uh, back to us after taking a little hiatus away from the restaurant group. If you love um, something. Let it go. They always, they always come back. Um, <laughs> but I love Alaspina. Oh my god, that's I, the, just like as you said, Osteria is up tempo. I feel like Alaspina is even a little bit more up tempo. I have a great memory last last year at Alex's Lemonade Stand that for the after party, you had Q-tip spinning there, uh, which was such uh, a blast. Questlove. Oh, Questlove. Yeah. That's what I meant. That's clearly what I meant. <laughs> uh, uh, but God, that was that was just such a blast um yeah it's our first time really having a restaurant where we can let our hair down to that degree you know and really and i think we take a really light-handed approach to a lot of things there that we don't get the opportunity to at some of the other restaurants so not that the other places are stuffy but alispina is just such a bar and so low-key you know there's graffiti on the walls and um so we can get a little bit more goofy there with the way we phrase things on the menu with our social media stuff um, I make a fool of myself on Twitter all the time uh, in regards to that. You have place. to check out at Som Millionaire. It is uh, a Twitter feed that uh, constantly makes me uh, smile and happy and angry that I couldn't come up with something so clever myself. Uh, it, I, I, I love it. Uh, you, you guys are killing it on, on social media, by the way. Oh, thanks. Uh, but what, so Alaspina means on tap in Italian, correct? Where, where did this idea for a restaurant that uh, is, obviously it is a drinking-driven restaurant if you're, if you're you know, naming it after a, an on tap or draft kind of system, but where, where did that idea come from? So each time that we open up a new restaurant, we're lucky enough to usually get a trip to head to Italy and try to check out some inspirations, things like that. So Alaspina, weirdly enough, was actually born out of a trip to do some research for Amis, which is another one of our restaurants in a Roman trattoria. Uh, so we went to Rome, um, tried to eat as much cacio e pepe in four days as we could, um, just tried as many different pasta dishes, classic Roman fare, and in between these eating binges where we'd be doing research for a mise, we'd head to a bar and have a couple beers just to relax and kind of refresh. And we found that the bar scene in Rome is so vibrant and so on fire right now, and especially with Italian craft beers. Um, there's uh, this whole new Italian craft scene that's blown up within the last 15 years or so, uh, maybe a little bit more. But going into these bars, we just fall in love with this beer culture. And you know, a lot of it's 
influenced by American culture, but a lot of it's very much its own thing. Um, so that idea kind of started gestating with us, and we started kicking around this idea that in a couple of years after we opened Amis, maybe we could have our own beer bar inspired by what we found in Italy. That's great. And these Italian beers, I, I absolutely love them as well. They're really, uh, they're really fascinating. I feel like you have that uh, Italian craftsmanship mentality, but with the the artistic and the this is a rule, so I'm going to break it kind of bent to it. Exactly. The perfect amount of weird without ever being off-putting. You know, they really just look at things from a different perspective. And a lot of times it's really simple and it's just a little twist on a beer that, that no one's thought of until this point. Um, but it helps that they're all incredibly delicious as well. And it helps. I feel like it helps that they don't have a long, deep beer making culture because you don't fall into like certain patterns. They kind of approach it from more of a blank canvas. Yeah, that's right. And you know, what I thought was really interesting was when I met a lot of these guys, I expected them to be just total renegades. Like I don't care about your American brewing or, you know, get out of here, Germany. But the truth is that they're all scholars of their trade. They're all Mm. guys that, you know, have lived in Germany, lived in the States, lived in Belgium and figured out that way of brewing and then deconstructed it and kind of put their own spin on it. So, you know, they're not as off the hip as I expected them to be. And the beers are incredible. Just from a, a, a restaurant, a geeky restaurant operational bent, because uh, we have enough of a challenge dealing with six six taps, six lines of kegs. It's, you know, the kegs are these big, unwieldy sort of things, and you can never tell really how full or empty they are. And how do you deal with, how many, how many lines of tap do you have there? So we have 20 taps and two casks, and then we do a couple of wine taps and things like that. Um, the way I deal with it, your, your listeners can't see, but I am ripped. <laughs> they can't see how muscular I am, but no, I'm a very scrawny person. And uh, I learned my lesson the hard way when we opened there. Moving 20 kegs on an almost daily basis is not fun. Um, but it just takes a lot of administration, a lot of logistic kind of uh, foresight. And uh, it's fun there to change that list throughout the week you know we probably change over 20 taps in you know roughly two weeks we'll wow. change almost all of them uh so it's exciting for us i think it's exciting for our regular guests to come in to see different things on mm-hmm. the on the list mm-hmm. um each time they come back and it's especially exciting for our staff and a really fun way to educate them to to be able to talk about you know 15 new beers every couple of weeks or so is uh is priceless and how do you go about the education aspect of what you do um, so I think the beverage world is one of the easiest things to talk about. It's one of the most fun things to talk about. If you can't make wine or beer or cocktails sound interesting, then you're probably not in the right profession. So it's really easy to, for us, set up a daily tasting with our staff because they want to taste the stuff. They want to talk about it. You know, we're, we're lucky enough to draw people from the restaurant industry that come to work with us that are already excited by food and already excited by f- service and beer, cocktails. Um, so we make it a rule at Alaspina, especially every family meal when we sit down and enjoy, uh, you know, whatever the, the kitchen has cooked for us um, to taste beers alongside it and talk about them for a good half hour before service starts. Um, and it's casual and it's low key, but there's so much information that comes up 
through that kind of casual exchange um, rather than, you know, print up uh, mm-hmm. a diagram or PowerPoint or whatever. Um, it's fun just to, to drink and talk. And I Do think you approach that, that uh, education of beer the same way as wine or is there, do you take a different bent? Um, I do approach it the same way. And, you know, so I actually got into beer first, um, not in any heavy duty professional way. Um, but I lived in Belgium for a little bit and drank a lot of Belgian beer and really fell in love with it. When I came back to the States, I started getting more and more into the restaurant thing and eventually landed at Vetri and got deep into the, the wine thing. Um, and so I think I learned how to taste beverages through wine. I think that's where I got kind of sommelier training and learning how to dissect things. And so I think I take that approach to tasting beer and talking about beer. And I think there's a lot of crossover. There's a lot of parallels uh, between wine and beer in terms of how they're made, handcrafted, um, the depth of flavor, the range of choices when making them. Um, So I do when describing beer, I think, and trying to connect stories to beer, have a similar approach to, to how I talk about wine. Yeah, well, we have to take a short break, but uh, I just want to reiterate, you guys, make sure you take the you know the, the short hour and a half, two hour trip down to Philly. And when you do, when you're in the area, you got go go for a drink and maybe some appetizers at Alaspina, and then treat yourself to dinner at Vetri or Osteria. It is just awesome. Anyway, we'll be back with uh, Steve Wildy from the Vetri Restaurant Group on In the Drink. You're listening to Leaving by Dead Stars on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Stay tuned for more from In the Drink. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards and Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit www.surreyfarms.com. And we're back on In the Drink on Heritage Radio Network. Dot org. I'm here with Steve Wildy of the Vetri Restaurant Group. Steve, I apologize for the heritage pork uh, <laughs> advertisement. I know you're a vegetarian. It's all right. It, it definitely doesn't offend me, but I won't partake if you start serving any <laughs> through this radio session. Um, what, are, what are some of your favorite vegetable wine pairings? Because sometimes that it's hard. You know, if you have like a vegetarian entree, how would you approach a, a wine pairing with that? So I think sequence plays into uh, wine pairings a lot for me. So if it's an entree, I think it's really disheartening for a vegetarian, Ada, to receive an entree that's not 
really hearty, really big, um, that doesn't flow in the sequence of the meal. And I, I take the same approach with the wine pairing where I want it to be something bigger, more show-stopping, more suitable to the end of the meal before they get into dessert. Uh, so it really depends on the dish. But some things I really like um, in terms of vegetable pairing specifically, um, artichokes are always a fun one to pair because they're notoriously tricky um, with whatever the compound is that's in them, chinarin or something that, mm-hmm. that makes everything taste a little bit sweeter uh, when you drink it alongside artichokes. Uh, one of my favorite wines of all time is Verdicchio. Uh, which is a white from the coast of Italy, along, uh, a region called the Marche. And it typically picks up a really interesting salty characteristic. And they say it might be because the, the grapes are grown so close to the shore. Um, but on top of that, it has this kind of big, ripe stone fruit, peach, apricot, and uh, this interesting kind of green olive tinge to it that tends to work really well with the uh, the natural bitterness of artichokes. And then that cool kind of saltiness really plays well with it, too. That's actually a perfect leeway. We actually we have a White Wines of Italy uh, class coming up at Anfora on September 10th. And um, I, I, I just personally feel that in Italy, the white wines are misunderstood by people outside of Italy. I feel like people love Italian red wines, but I can't tell you how many, how many people I speak to on a nightly basis who, who think that Italian white wines you know, they just don't, they're, they're just not up to snuff with, with the reds. Um, but I know that the two of us share a love for Italian whites. Outside of Verdicchio, what are some of your other favorite Italian whites? So through the summer especially, I drink a lot of northern Italian whites, a lot of really cool, crisp, uh, maybe slightly more angular and high acid wines from the Alto Adige. Uh, the Alto Adige Trentino is a region far north that sits alongside the uh, border of Austria up in the foothills of the Alps up there. And uh, so as a result, typically the whites that come from there are really clean, really lean um, as a general rule. And I drink a lot of things like Muller Turgau, mm. Kerner, um, even Pinot Grigio from up there. How about you? What are you drinking right now? I, I love those wines as well, uh, but I've been really into the Ligurian whites, which I think have some similarities to those coastal wines from the, the Marque, that, that kind of brininess. Uh, maybe you get a little bit more weight out of something like Vermentino from, from Liguria. Uh, there is a really flinty, salty grape called Pigato, which I, I so love. Uh, Pigato. Uh, so the Ligurian whites, and then Friuli, obviously, which we, we both uh, we visited there, which has this crazy range of everything from like fresh, crisp mineral wines. Like our, our good friend Gianpaolo Venica makes these beautiful, just like joyful, summery wines to something that's uh, kind of more full and deep and brooding, like the wines of Radicon, uh, which have seen some skin contact, and, and those are those are kind of really serious rich whites so i love the range up in friuli too yeah and i think you made a great point on people coming into italian restaurants and having less familiarity with italian whites and as a result i think feeling less comfortable ordering them but as you said the range is so diverse and so all across the board where you can have something that tastes like a a buttery california shard you can have something that tastes just like the best german riesling you know there's so much happening in the italian white scene Yes. Anyway, so if you guys are around on September 10th, sorry to give another plug, but uh, Anfora, we're doing uh, the white wines of Italy. Um, certainly we'll see some, uh, some Verdicchio and, uh, and Friulian wine there. Um, so you guys are about to open up uh, another restaurant, I hear. 
Yeah, we have a few things going on. Uh, September 6th is the tentative date that we've been kicking around for opening up the pizzeria. Uh, so Pizzeria Vetri, um, same style of pizza that we do over at Osteria, but in a really small, casual setting, tiny space, 30 seats, um, lots of takeout, uh, takeout beer, things like that. Um, so that's right around the corner, which is exciting. And then in a couple months, we'll be opening up another Osteria, but across the bridge in New Jersey, which will be our first venture out of the state of PA. Uh, which what, or the, the, the Pennsylvania liquor law is just Ooh. too easy for you? Like, they, you, they, you, you're done with that challenge? No, yeah. they have me running for other options, I think is more like it. So Pennsylvania liquor laws uh, come with uh, plenty of fun little hurdles uh, that we've had a good time navigating over the years. And, you know, there are some great selections in PA. We love selling wine in PA. We love all our guests in PA. Um, but it'll be fun to move across to New Jersey. And, you know, my job's already, I think, one of the most fun jobs out there. Sorry to, to sound smug. But moving over to New Jersey where we'll be able to buy wines um, in a state that's not controlled the same way that PA is, uh, will be doubly fun. It's going to be a pretty crazy wine list, and I can't wait. Oh, wow. So what kind of restaurant is it going to be in New Jersey? Uh, so it's going to be a similar concept to Osteria. Mm-hmm. It's actually going to be called Osteria. Um, it'll be uh, a slightly larger space, um, same approach to wood-grilled meats, pizzas, house-made pastas, huge wine list, good beer selection, um, but still be, you know, the same kind of fairly casual approach that we have at all the restaurants. All right. So it'll be at least slightly closer for me when I want to get my Osteria. That's true. Uh, my Osteria fix, I, I, I can go down to <laughs> Morristown, you said? Morristown, yeah. Morristown, New Jersey. So you're a busy guy these days. How do you, how do you manage it? You have uh, the, the restaurants are opening up. You just had a baby. You have an adorable puppy. Just like it's a full-grown dog now, but yeah. it's still a puppy to me. Doing radio shows. Radio shows. Man, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, uh, like I said, it's a fun job. You know, it's, it's easy to keep moving when a lot of it's talking about beer, wine, cocktails, mixing cocktails, talking to our great staff about everything that we have on the list and things like that. So, you know, it, it, uh, it never seems like that much of a challenge, luckily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at what age do you think you're going to start talking to your baby about about wine and beer (laughs) let's see i think we'll probably get that kid into some some heavy duty drinking in his teens (laughs) we'll see we'll see i don't know i guess it's 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 his own adventure to choose but you know i grew up with uh, i grew up in northern ireland and there was always beer or wine you know at the family table from a fairly early age. I mean, drinking is legal over there at 18, um, but it was not a question that somebody would, would have a glass of wine, you know, a little bit earlier than that. Um, and I think that's great. You know, I think it, it's really nice to see that exchange, especially when it's what we do for a living, where it's sharing something exciting at a table that enhances a meal. You know, and wine does that, beer does that. Um, so to answer your question, eight years old is when we'll, we'll get them on the sauce. <laughs> I love that. I love it. You know, usually we, we spend a lot of time talking about um, how people got into the industry. Um, I feel like you have so many things going on. You have such an exciting uh, professional life at this point that uh, we didn't even get into that. But can you, if you can sum it up a little bit, what, what effect do you think that growing up in, in Northern Ireland has had you know, on, on your, your later life, your professional life, and then maybe just highlight a couple of the other, the more 
the important milestones um, before. I mean, you 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 know you're you're the beverage director of one of like the just the most respected and most incredible restaurant groups in the country. How how did you get here? Whoa, whoa! So it's a big job. <laughs> well, I think you know, growing up in Northern Ireland, you know, again, beer is a fairly large part of the culture there. Um, but it wasn't like we were sitting down and really dissecting drinks at a table. It was just, you know, part of dinner. Um, it's part of going out to a pub is there being a beer in your hand, but it's about conversation and it's about hanging out with friends and a lot of everything I think in Ireland and Northern Ireland is about hospitality. And I think anybody that's taken a trip there, um, and seen how the Irish welcome you, um, and you get a really distinct feeling that. Everybody there genuinely wants you to have a good time. You know, I think if you stop to ask somebody something on the street when you're on vacation in Ireland, they take as much time out of their day as you need to help you find what you're looking for. Um, and I think so I've taken that with me more than anything. It's just hospitality. It's just, you know, wanting people to have a great time no matter what it is. You know, so if somebody comes over to my house, like I might overdo it a little bit. But, you know, at the restaurants, things like that, I really want somebody to just have a great experience, you know, and it doesn't have to be a life-changing experience, but I want somebody to feel like they, they've experienced something great when they come into our places. And I think that might come a little bit from growing up over there and just being surrounded with that kind of general um, hospitality that exists in Ireland. Um, other formative things, I think, you know, outside of our Friuli trip, which changed my life, <laughs> um, uh, Belgium, living there for a little bit. I studied uh, international politics, essentially, through college and lived in Brussels for a little bit to do a, an internship with the European Parliament mm -hmm. and kind of fell out of the political thing in exchange for drinking way too much Belgian beer and falling in love with that part of the culture over there where when you go out to a lunch in Belgium, you know, there's an 80-year-old woman next to you with a huge mug of beer and it's just what they do over there. It's just how they drink. Um, and they happen to make some of the best beer in the world. Um, so that was something that really I forget got... that we had that in common as well. I, I thought I studied European studies thinking that I would go into mm -hmm. politics or, or either politics or, or non-governmental organization, either like governmental yeah. or non-governmental, but like doing something along, along those lines. And then the calling of, uh, of the restaurant industry was, was just way too strong for me. And, and it's a similar, uh, similar story with you. Yeah, anybody who's listening out there that's trying to think what to do at school and wants to get into the restaurant world, just do international studies. We'll <laughs> get you there. <laughs> that that that'll definitely do it. Uh, you know, I I mean, I know a lot of people try. I think it's just the greatest, just the greatest industry in the world. You have, you know, there there are so many fantastic people. Uh, it's a supportive industry, and yes, if anyone is listening and is thinking about what they're doing, it is uh, a worthwhile uh, endeavor, as, as I, I'm sure you can tell. Um, you know, we don't have too much time, but I do want to bring back an old segment uh, that we that we used to do, but we've kind of fallen off, and it is the quick fire segment. So what I'm going to do is give you several scenarios, and you're going to tell me in what what would you be drinking? It could be wine, it could be beer, it could be anything. Uh, if you were if you were to find yourself in uh, in this scenario, okay. So we'll start off with an easy one. You're about to open up the pizzeria. So if you have a classic marinara, the margarita pizza um, with mozzarella and basil, what what are you drinking? Lambrusco. 
I want to drink Lambrusco with a lot of things, but especially pizza, something that's tart, fizzy, thirst quenching, refreshing, palate cleansing. All right. So you're, you just came off a shift. You came home. The yeah. What what what's what what do you have at the end of uh, at the end of the night? A mimosa, actually, pretty much. You know, five ta- five nights out of the week when I get home, I'll make a mimosa. At the end. I think it's the most refreshing, rejuvenating, kind of gets me back on track. Just prosecco and orange juice, the best. That is uh, that is not something I would have expected. That's <laughs> usually, usually people drink that in the morning, but it makes complete sense. You know, usually at at the end of a long night, you forget that you haven't had anything, any liquid. You have anything to drink? The the orange juice. That's I think that's really smart. Okay, so you're in the back garden because uh, you have this awesome uh, this awesome townhouse you guys bought a few years ago, right? Uh, playing with throwing the ball for the dog. Your baby's out there. Your wife's out there. You're just relaxing on Sunday afternoon. Sly Fox Hellas in a 360 can. There's a local brewery uh, near us that just, I think they're the guys that, that created this style of can. But when you pop it open, the whole top rips off. So it looks like a little tumbler. Um, and it's filled with a Hellas, just a really easy drinking, low hop lager. And it makes me feel pretty cool to be in my yard with this whole open can of beer, drinking it fairly quickly. That's that sounds delicious, and Sly Fo- those Sly Fox beers are outstanding. Um, all right, well that is uh, that's going to be it for today. Unfortunately, I feel like uh, I'd love to extend the show so I'd have uh, more time to talk to you. But uh, Steve Wildy, the Vestry Restaurant Group, thank you so much. Uh, I, it's an honor to have you as our one year show. Thank you, Joey. Happy anniversary. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you for listening. This has been the one-year anniversary of In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.